Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Patrick Corbin, who's had a terrible, terrible year and had given up the first two runs of the game. They were down 2 nothing early. He's had a terrible year, but he's gone out there every time. They sat him down once. You know, my position was they should have sat him for the whole year so he wouldn't lose 20. He still can lose 20. He still might lose 20. But he got the win. When he left after six, they were up 3-2. to two. I went back and forth with Chuck Todd, and Chuck Todd said, now we need insurance runs. And I just started to laugh. The Nats don't get insurance runs. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm happy for the mention of Chuck Todd because it leads me into something. Um, Mikhail Gorbachev died yesterday at 81. He was a great man. And if, if you look at sort of the global politics of the period of time he was in, and you look at him and you look at Ronald Reagan... And you say, was this good for the world? Was that relationship good for the world when Reagan said, tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev? And yes, it was. And Gorbachev was a smart and I I felt a great leader, although a lot of people will tell you that the reaction to Gorbachev by dissolving the Soviet Union uh, and just having Russia led directly to Putin, who is not a great leader, who is a wild man. So, but... But I'm not, I don't want to get into this whole thing because you don't come here to hear me talk about that. You come here to hear me complain about the Nats. And Chuck <laughs> Todd, for example, has plenty to say about Gorbachev, but has plenty to say about the Nats. It was Chuck Todd who texted me yesterday morning, yesterday morning to say that the Cade Cavalli era is already over. Yeah, one and done. It's already over. He had one start, he lost the game, and he's on the DL already he's emulating Strasburg already and by the way let me just say this I watched the Nats last night Fetty was terrible last night although the reliever they brought in let in all of the runs no lead is no lead is big enough with Fetty on the map no he was terrible again last night he had like 75 pitches in two and two-thirds and he didn't get out of the third He just looks so surprised when he gives them up he didn't get out of the third. They had a 4-1 lead, and when the inning was over, it was 6-4 Oakland. These are the two worst teams in baseball. I don't, you know, Chuck and I were, were saying, what's the over-under on 10,000 in attendance last night? They probably got more than 10,000, but at the beginning of the game, they didn't even have 7,000 at the beginning of the game. Chuck thought, and he's going tonight. He's going to the game tonight. Uh, he thought they wouldn't have 10,000. But so you watch Fetty, and it's distressing. Let me tell you what's truly distressing and I may be the only one who feels this way Fetty is sitting in the dugout it's now 6-4 the Nats are losing who was the guy who came in who was terrible uh, Hunter Harvey okay who is he he was terrible he gave up the runs immediately who are the two people that you see sitting in the dugout the two people who to me signify what's wrong with the Washington Nationals pitching Steven Strasburg and Doolittle. They're sitting there. Doolittle now is crusading for statehood. He wants the District of Columbia to have statehood. It's fine. Do. It's fine a- to have every whatever puppy you, in sight. Yeah, it's, it's fine. And, and good for him, the Beltway Mitterrand. But he doesn't pitch. Steven Strasburg is so great when he's out there. But he doesn't pitch. There's nobody who really thinks. You can't really think that he's going to have a career anymore. He'll try to get out there, 
But you can't really convince Wouldn't yourself you that he's has, going to have two or three great, great years. He has to swing through the through the dugout to pick up his paycheck <laughs> twice <laughs> a month. So he sits, he sits there. And I mean, I say to myself, well, of course it went bad. Because, because these are the symbols of pitchers who can't get out on the mound. They can't get out on the mound anymore for whatever reason. They're always, Doolittle's always hurt. Sure, I, I put Doolittle so in a different class. What class? No, I'm just saying reliever is different than okay. a starter. The contract but it's always hurt. Straws, okay, that's fine. But you look at the service that you provide in terms of uh, what you are as an, as an elder statesman in a bullpen. You look at what you're providing for the city, and that is a key person that I don't think you recognize. No, I'm resentful. Yeah, but get a, if you get up off your couch, leave your living room, you realize he's doing stuff for the city that is, that is you know, protecting the bond this team has been trying to make. with Barry's Ruluga tried to make that point, and Barry's probably right. But I sit here, and I just get angry and throw popcorn at the screen because <laughs> yeah, I'm a crazy <laughs> old man. Have you seen the man. videos with him with the puppies? Yeah, he's great with puppies. Well, Scherzer was great with puppies. Yeah, you Scherzer know, got the big dogs. Well, but, I mean, Scherzer, you know, took rescue dogs and yeah. stuff like that. Maybe I'm... Am I too harsh? Michael thinks I'm too harsh. Nigel, Sean, am I too harsh? When I see them there and I know they cannot pitch. I mean, I, I think if, if you got a guy on your team and he can't get on the field, it would, it would tend to make me very annoyed as well. It's not saying I, I know it, what Michael was saying about the nice things he does for the city, but yeah, my blood pressure would rise a little bit when I saw him. That's what I think happened. So they lose the game. I didn't stay for the end. I think they lost 10 to 6. Steve Ciszek. He Grand stinks slam. too. He's the guy who throws underhand, right? Yeah. He's never terrible. Know where it's going. <laughs> He's terrible. <laughs> Be you active know, on it, the base. Path. And by the way, it ruined it ruined something that um who's the leadoff by Lane Jackson? What's Lane? Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas home he run. opened the game with a home run. First that was the season. first one all year, a leadoff home run. Which is why you he's don't ever put watch. Victor Robles in a leadoff spot hey, he's anymore. He's my kid's favorite baseball Victor player. Robles, he's the not a major league franchise. hitter. C.J. Abrams and Victor Robles are not major league hitters. C.J. Abrams looks so young. He's not a major league hitter yet. But this guy, is it Meneses? How is it pronounced? Yeah, the second batter, the outfielder, Joey Meneses from yeah. Mexico, who spent 10 to 12 years in the minor leagues. What are these scouts thinking? The guy's batting 350. You can't get him out. He had two doubles last night. It's over 10 years. You don't get a lot of tape. How, how do you keep this guy down in the minors for that long when he can do this? Yeah. I mean, who's the best player on the Nats right now? Ruiz. Ruiz is the most valuable player on the Nats right now. But Manessez is... He's the most fun to watch. Yeah. What else did I want to talk about? I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about the U.S. Open just in this regard. Um, uh, Serena Williams will play tonight. I, I don't think they will ever. For as long as she lasts in this tournament, they will never put her in the day unless she gets to the finals, which is a day match. Right, Nigel? That's a day match, the finals. They'll keep That's her right. at night because yeah. she's, she's oh, the biggest she, draw in the tournament. Yeah, she's a bigger no, draw than Nadal, I think. I think she is. Maybe not, well, but I think she, well, they had Nadal at night last night too. So Yeah, and it was a, it was a packed house, but not like, not like it was Monday night for Serena because you know, nobody knew whether it was going to be the last, the last night for her. That's so, right. Yeah, she, Serena's she playing the number two woman in the world. Who I think her name is Annette Contivate. Do I have that That's name right? right? Annette yes, Contivate. You did, you did well She's number that. two in the world. She has won nothing. She's <laughs> never been to a final in the major. She's never. She's never won a major. Serena's won 23. I think this woman is very beatable because I think she'll get out there and she will be aghast at the crowd. 
The crowd will cheer for every single thing Serena does, every point she makes. They will not even recognize Contivate until she does something bad. Then they will cheer because Serena <laughs> will get a point. As Rodney Dangerfield used to say, it's a tough crowd. That's a tough, <laughs> tough crowd. So on form, Serena should lose. She should. Number two player in the world, she should lose to the number two player in the world. Serena is not who she was. No. She's not. She's almost 41 years old. She's played five matches all year. She's lost three of them. She should lose this. I don't think she's going to lose tonight. Naomi Osaka went out. She went out to Danielle Collins. This is a terrible draw for both these people. Naomi Osaka has won four majors. If I'm not mistaken, Danielle Collins either just got to the finals of the French or Wimbledon. Am I right on that? Yeah. You uh, should know, Nigel. You're a tennis person. I, I think it was Wimbledon because it, in, in France, it was Coco Golf that got to the finals in France. Okay. She's got to the finals. And, and they play each other in the first round. That's the hardest first round match for either. Osaka went out. Osaka has now lost two first rounds in a row in majors. Um, Osaka's troubles are well documented. I just don't think that she is temperamentally equipped to be a great tennis player in the way you have to be to be a great tennis player. It's very public. You have to be out there all the time. There are people cheering. There are people booing. Your life is their target. It's, you have to have thick skin yes. to yes. do this. And as great a talent as she is, we have been told by her, I don't have that thick skin. I don't have that. So that's a very difficult position for her to be in. Nigel, you, you told me off air, you think she's done. Yeah, I think she is. I mean, she hasn't. And by the way, I got it wrong. Daniel Collins is the finals in the Australian Open. Um, okay, but I knew she had been in a, in a, in a final, yeah. in a major yeah. final recently. And, and she's quite a good player. And, I get, and the reason that, that matchup happens in the first round is because Osaka just hasn't played a lot. She just really hasn't that's been right. out there. She's, she's not ranked. No, it's like and, it's like Serena's ranked four ten. I mean, you know she's better than that, so. right? So you know, I, I, and, and for Osaka, you know, I just she she made so much money in endorsements in Japan. I yep. mean, it was something like sixty or seventy million dollars, and I think she just and she clearly has her mind on other things. I don't think she's sort of this hungry champion, you know, that that she was a few years ago. I think she's sort of you looking at life, saying, "Yeah, I got other things." You have to be. <sighs> crazily and fanatically directed. You have yes. to be Michael Jordan. You yeah. have to be Tiger Woods. These are the people you have to be at the exclusion of all else. You have to crave the championship and everything that goes with it. Serena is that way, has been that yes. way for many years. I don't think Naomi Osaka is that way. Just Not don't. Yeah. We'll take a break. Uh, Pat Forty will join us. We'll talk about Scott Frost and the disaster he's been. And <laughs> Notre Dame is playing at Ohio State in the first week of the season. How yeah. did that get set up? Usually these teams play Chattanooga in the first week of the season. How did this happen? We'll ask Pat Forty when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy 
price, price line. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Timothy Riccio in Brantford, Connecticut, who writes, A few weeks ago, you were so kind to play a couple of songs by my cousin Natalie Hamilton. And I'd be so grateful if you would play a couple more. The songs are titled Old What's-Her-Name and Red Ball Rising. She'll be performing two shows at the Legacy Theater in Brantford, Connecticut, on Friday, September 9th, and Saturday, September 10th, 8 p.m. So if you're in Connecticut on those dates, please come see her. You can look up up ticket information at www.legacytheater.org. You can also find our live streaming shows on www.twitch.tv slash Natalie Hamilton Music. It's very nice. Very nice. This is called Old What's-Her-Name. Again, at the end of the show, you can not have to listen to me, and you can listen to Natalie Hamilton. We'll play another song from her later. She plays in Pat 40. Let's start with one of the few times we're not going to talk about the Olympics. We're not going to talk about swimming. We have college football. It has come, as has pro football, come to save our lives. After so many months of not having football, it has come to save our lives. (laughs) Who is going to save Scott Frost's life? Uh, Pat, when he was hired... Coming out of what he did in Central Florida, being an alum at Nebraska, being a member of national championship teams, I thought this is the best hire they can make, and he has been a disaster. What are your thoughts? Uh, the same. I mean, I thought that that was the perfect guy, and I thought he would succeed very well because if you can go undefeated at Central Florida... Yeah. Certainly, you could have success at Nebraska, a place that you know better than anyone. And it has been an abysmal failure. He's been swallowed by the job. He, I don't know if there was arrogance or, or just a, a pure lack of ability to grasp competing in the Big Ten. I, I, he's been strategically bad. They've been developmentally bad. They've had bad coaching staffs. I mean, you name it, and it's gone wrong there. Uh, but really, the glaring thing, Tony, is is he's five and twenty-one in one-score games. Yeah. Like they just yeah. find ways to blow games. I, I, five and twenty-one is hard to do. You know, in a one-score game, it's almost a you know maybe a fifty-fifty thing, and they're not close to that. And it's just astounding to me that it's gone this badly. I'll give you a statistic that was made uh, available to me the other day when on PTI we talked about Scott Frost that I'm sure you know. They had fired Bo Pelini at one point. Bo Pelini was a crazy man, and so they fired him. They did not hire Scott Frost directly after that, but he was the next hire, the second hire after that. If Scott Frost were to win his next 50 games, his next 50 in a row, which nobody, not even Bud Wilkinson, has done, if he were to win his next 50 in a row, he would still have a worse record than Bo Pelini. Bo Pelini <laughs> never won fewer than nine games, and Scott Frost has never won more than five. What does this say about Nebraska? They've been searching for a long time for somebody to be in the Osborne-Devaney mode. They haven't found it. What does it say? Yeah, a couple of things. One, that they didn't realize that they had it pretty good with Bo Pelini. Now, they did, yes. They had a foul-tempered, you know, angry man running their program. But he, they would take foul-tempered right now at nine wins. I guarantee it. Uh, but I think the other thing it says is that, look, Nebraska, Nebraska's window 
probably closed in terms of what it was realistically capable of being uh, in the 1990s. The game changed. Uh, Nebraska wasn't capable of changing with it in terms of, of who you can recruit and who you can bring in and who you're competing against. Moving to the Big Ten was not a good thing for them. Stupid. Uh, in totally way, stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. And, and just, you know, it's more clear than ever what an island they're on in terms of local talent base. And if you, if you, if you have nothing to sell and nobody to sell it to, yeah, you end up being Nebraska football in the 2020s. What should they do with Frost? What will they do? They are football at the University of Nebraska matters to every single person in that state in a way that very few programs matter. I'll give some other examples, but very few programs matter in that way. What do they do with this guy? Well, I mean, I've said this. This isn't hindsight saying it, but they should have fired him last year. I said that, and I thought bringing him back for a Hail Mary season, well, we're going to change the coaching staff, we're going to hit the transfer portal, eh, it's not going to work. Um, the only thing, the only way he saves himself now, in my opinion, is you have to win these next two games against overmatched opponents, and then Oklahoma comes to Lincoln September 17th, and you got to win that game. If you don't, and you're 2-2, two and two and you've beaten nobody of consequence, You've given nobody any reason to think that it's going to get better. Then you go into a bye week, and then October 1st you start Big Ten play. The, right. the situation there, his buyout drops from $15 million to $7.5 million on October 1st. You can maybe come to an agreement with him after if you lose to Oklahoma and you're, one and, so you're two and two, say, look, Scott, this isn't working. We need to make a change. It, on October first, you get seven point five million. If you go away two weeks early, we'll give you an extra five hundred thousand or a million or whatever. Please just go away, and then you try to salvage the Big Ten season, and then you see what you can do in terms of hiring another coach. But I, I really think if if they don't beat Oklahoma and you're staring down the barrel of another dismal Big Ten season, uh, you, you got to make a change. And I know midseason changes in a lot of ways are disruptive and harmful and distasteful. But that's the yes. world that college football lives in now. So I was trying to think of other schools in this particular circumstance where they were glorious football schools, and they've gone through a bunch of coaches lately, and it's not quite the same. And the ones that I came up with, the first one I think is obvious is Florida State. I mean, I, I do think that's an obvious one. I also came up with Texas and UCLA and maybe Florida. Would you agree with any of them? Yes, um, I would agree with, with basically all of those. Uh, and I, I, you could probably throw USC into that mix as well. Uh, the one thing, like Florida State won a national championship in 2013 and played in the playoff in 2014. So it's not, they, within the last decade, they've been pretty good. And Florida has played in the SEC championship game multiple yep. times within the last yep. five, six years. Like nobody's fallen off like Nebraska's fallen off. Texas is, is fallen dramatically, but they've also, okay, 2009 was the last time they were really good. But you also look at Texas and say, that's just mal temporary malpractice. If they, They'll fix it because they've got all the players. And, and so it's easy yes. to see Texas coming back. It's easy to see the Florida schools coming back. Nebraska, it's just harder to see it. You know, the roadmap back for them is really difficult.
Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Let me shift gears. Notre Dame at Ohio State, opening a season. I said before I brought you on, these teams usually play Chattanooga in the first game. They're playing each other. How did that happen? That's a good question. I, you know, I mean, Ohio State has looked to schedule some good non-conference games. Notre Dame is, is usually in the market for them. I mean, whether it's going to be a Michigan or sometimes they've played Texas or, or whoever. Uh, so, you know, they have a, a short agreement to play each other, and it's great for us, I mean, for, for the football fans out there to see it. And uh, I, I, I don't think Notre Dame, Notre Dame may not be up for the task in this one, but uh, it's awesome to see those two teams play each other. They haven't played each other on campus since 1996. They had a 95-96 two-game series, and before that, I think you have to go back to the 30s before they played each other on wow. campus. They've had a couple bowl meetings, but it's a very rare thing. Can Notre Dame be that much of an underdog? Did I see it was 17 and a half? Can that be true? Big number, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Notre Dame's a, a tad overrated here. We've got uh, you know a new quarterback has not started a game. Uh, their best offensive lineman is banged up. We we'll don't know whether he will play. Their their top deep threat receiver is out for the year with a knee injury. Their head coach, who everybody likes and is very charismatic, hasn't proven a thing. So there's a lot of ifs with Notre Dame, especially <laughs> offensively. And then Ohio State looks very much like the real deal, at least on paper. If they get their defense a little tougher, which is why they paid $2 million to a defensive coordinator to come in from Oklahoma State, then I think they're right there as certainly in the top three and probably the top two nationally. I find myself almost always rooting for Notre Dame. I mean, you grow up in New York City in that area, and Notre Dame is your college team, and it's stayed with me for a 1,000 years. This is a brand-new coach uh, at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly left, and I think surprised people leaving for LSU. Surprised me, anyway, but he left. Is that, if they get beat badly, if they get beat by 30, does, is that a permanent stain on a new coach? I mean, is, is that something that could be determinant down the road? I don't think so. Um I, especially the way Marcus, Marcus Williams, is, right? Do I have that name right? Mar- Mar- Marcus Williams? Marcus Freeman. Freeman. Marcus Freeman. Freeman, I'm sorry. Marcus Freeman, yeah. 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 Um, I, I don't think it's determinant of, of his future. I, I wouldn't be good, and people would immediately be like, oh, my gosh, you know, you lose a guy, Brian Kelly, that's been in the playoff multiple times, and you bring in this guy, and now look. But right. the, the way he's recruited, you got to give him a chance. I mean, the 2023 recruiting class for Notre Dame will be one of the best in school history and one of the top five in the country as it stands right now. Uh, and, you know, they're recruiting with Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State at the moment. Okay. Um, so I think you give him a chance to, you know, to go forward. But it would be a, a, a pretty high-profile disaster if this thing goes really badly. I'll be there Saturday. Um, but I also think the two in – I think in long view, I think Ohio State is going to prove out to be extremely good this year. Now, you want to see Notre Dame at least play with some poise, uh, but I, I, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I'm not going into this game as a referendum on the hire of Marcus Freeman. Okay, because I, I think that would be unfair if it was. I mean, I yes. mean, what do you do in playing Ohio State at Ohio State in your first game ever as a coach? I mean, you got to go to bed at night saying, well, how did this happen? What is going to happen to me? All right, well, I'll get you out of here in this. I'll stay in the Midwest. What is Harbaugh trying to pull with his two-quarterback deal? What's he doing? <laughs> 
pulling a Harbaugh. You know, I mean, he's always he's always going to have something, and he comes at things in such an off kilter way. You know, that's different than other people. I said this was Spurrier esque because if you remember back in like the mid '90s, Spurrier at one point rotated quarterbacks every play. Uh, Jesse Palmer and Doug Johnson, they they traded the you know they ran in the plays back when people used to do that instead of right. signaling and uh, with the quarterbacks. Uh, this is there might be some mad genius to this because it does a couple of things that I see, Tony. First of all, it gives both players a chance to say, "I got my shot." Okay, I got to start a game as opposed to, "Well, I didn't even get on the field." He just said the other guy was better, and I didn't get a chance. Or you know, coming in in relief for a series in the second quarter, whatever. Um, you know, this way, both guys start. Now they're both against. One of the reasons they can do this is because they're playing a terrible schedule because Jim Harbaugh dumped good games, including one this year against UCLA. That's who they should be playing in the second or third week of the year. Um, and then the other thing it does, I think it increases the likelihood that neither transfer during the season. You know, that you're, you, you haven't invested yeah. for a full two weeks. They've each had a start. It's harder to get, into, to get enrolled in another school. And I think that both of them stick around, and you've got a really good starter and a really good backup. We're not going to get into this today. We'll get into it some other time. But years from now, people will look back and say the most important thing in college football is the transfer portal. It had never been before. It was hard to transfer before. Now you can wake up one morning, you started out at Purdue, and you ended up at Arizona State that day. You can do it. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, At 40, boys and girls. Uh, we will come back with Richard Justice. We will do a deep dive into Albert Pujols, I believe, and Justin Verlander. Uh, I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Natalie Hamilton. The music is sent in by her cousin, Timothy Riccio, who writes, I sincerely hope you understand how wonderful it is that you offer this avenue for musicians to share their art. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. That's very, very nice, right? And then he talks about when I sign off for the last time. I don't really want to deal with that necessarily now. <laughs> but thank you to Timothy Riccio. This is, again... Natalie Hamilton. If people like Natalie Hamilton, Michael, want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And also you can listen at the end of the podcast. You don't even have to listen to me now. You can just go right to the end of the podcast and listen to Natalie Hamilton, which is better than listening to me. Richard Justice joins us now. We have the first thing we have to talk about is Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander will be the unanimous choice for comeback player of the year in all of baseball. There's just nobody else, I don't think, that you can pick. And he will probably be the American League Cy Young winner because he's the best pitcher in the American League. And he is now hurt and was sent to the injured list. Richard, what, what do we make of this? How serious is it? And what do we make of the year Verlander's having? 
we make of the year he's having is that it's historic. You know, year after, the year you come back from Tommy John, you're not the same. Your stuff is not as crisp, and teams are fanatic about, as we've gotten more advanced about uh, in understanding Tommy John surgery, teams have become fanatic about monitoring rest and not pushing him. And uh, none of those issues has been a problem with Justin Verlander. You, Tony, I watch every start. You can't believe yeah. how good he's been. He has never been this good. And so the two most important players on the Astros, Jordan Alvarez and Justin Verlander, are both hurt at the moment. And, you know, like with other, other teams, they're going to win their division. They're going to win 100 games, all those things. But everything they want to do is in October, and it's all riding on, the, on those things. Um, Justin said yesterday, he told the reporters, it's not as bad as it could be. But I think his quote was, it's not nothing. There's no tear in the calf, but the fascia around the calf is disrupted. That's the word he used. And he said, if it had been torn, you know, I would be looking at being sidelined into the playoffs. I don't, I don't know that it's gonna, how it's going to affect his Cy Young chances. He was going to run away with it. Um, you know, maybe he, maybe he still will. But for the Astros, and other teams are in this situation, the Dodgers with injured guys, everything is getting him back on the mound. Because, you know, as you look into the playoffs and how good some of the pitching is around baseball, uh, when you hand the baseball to Justin Verlander, and their number two guy for Amber Valdez is pretty good too, you hand the baseball to those two guys, you just say, it's when players walk in and see the lineup card, they go, hey, we're going to win today. So yeah. it's not terrible, but it's not good. I was thinking I was walking the dog this morning and thinking about this whole thing. And this other thought occurred to me. Dusty Baker, who continues to manage and continues to win 90 and 100 games, who has brought, I think, four or five different teams into the playoffs, who has gotten, has never won the World Series, but gotten to the World Series, and who was a very good baseball player. Not a great baseball player, but a very good baseball player for a long time. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame, right? And justifiably, shouldn't he, with the length and breadth of his career, get to the Hall of Fame? Yes, 25 years as a manager. I believe he's up to over 2,000 wins as a manager. Um, and his, you're right, his teams, have, his teams have historically been good. The knock, the only knock, is that he hasn't won a title. You know, he got to Game that's 6 right. of the World Series last year. And, and, that, and that's legit. But I think when you look, as with other guys like... You know, I, I, I can't. Bochy won, Bruce Bochy won three titles. We know he's going to the Hall of Fame. LaRusso won three. He's going to the Hall He is in the Hall of Fame. He's in. He's in yeah. the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, so Dusty's going to go because he had, a, as you said, Dusty was a good player, a really good oh, player. Was. And uh, yeah. I, I think about this all the time, like 55 years in the game. And, and, and when you, you took over a job, the job that he took over in 2020 when the Astros were a mess, when everyone was screaming everything at them, every publication, every talk show host in America called them the biggest cheats in the history of the game. That's right. That's right. You have a guy that's completely calm. The other day, 
he uh, missed a game. He had COVID. He was, I think, in a hotel in Detroit. And the game was one of those games on YouTube or somewhere. And he told them, um, told the writers, and yeah, you know, I never could figure out how to get that up on my computer. Uh, so I watched a, a documentary on, I think he said Jimi Hendrix or somebody like that. It's like, <laughs> it was a good day. And that's, yeah. that's what you need. You need that calm. You know, you can be boiling inside, and you can see it at times. He is. All those guys are like that. But you have to reflect a certain confidence and calm because in this age of, as Will Bond would like to say, the damn analytics, um, yeah. the, we're awash in information. But what you're not awash in is people skills and getting guys to believe in what you're doing and getting a good effort every night. And that's the genius of Dusty Baker. Yeah, I think he'll go. Uh, the big news in baseball at the moment is the judge has 51 home runs, is apparently going to be a free agent at the end of the year. There are two questions out there. One is, can you see him leaving New York? The larger question for me is, I know it's a lot of home runs, and I know he could pass Roger Maris and Babe Ruth. But Bond said it's so far out, 73, whether he cheated or not, it's so far out, 73, that it's hard to get excited about 51 through 60. You know what I mean? It's so far out there. Right. Um, that's, the, that's the tragedy of the steroid era. Mm-hmm is what yes. they did. You know, yes. you and I grew up, 60 was a sacred number, 61 was a sacred yes. number, 714, 715, Aaron and, and Ruth. Um, and it, the, all of that changed because 50 and 60 home runs became almost routine. I would hope we could take a deep breath and say, look, the game does have uh, steroid testing now, and it seems to be working because some prominent players have been caught, most notably Tatis in San Diego. Tatis. Yeah. And um, so I say you have to give this guy his due. He's got 51. And and not only that, you know, the MVP debate is, look, don't overlook Otani. He's got 29 homers, and he's started 22 games as a pitcher. It's still historic. His value is unbelievable. On the other hand, I, I heard uh, somebody say this the other night, um, the he has not played a meaningful game, you know. To the outside look at him, to every game it's meaningful to him. And I, you know, it's insulting when Mike Trout will win all his MVPs. Well, he didn't play any meaningful games. Well, they were meaningful to Mike. Um, and but Judge is carrying the Yankees. I mean, they are. You look at the the, the injuries and the slumps up and down the lineup, and the offense are generating. I mean, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders every time he steps to home plate. And I think because of that and because of what Otani is doing, we've seen before, he's going to win in a runaway. And it's, I'm telling you, it's a thing of beauty to watch this guy play. He just, he's like a, his, uh, his stance is like a cobra. He, he unwinds so quickly, and his hands are so fast at getting to the ball. It's like he can't be fooled. Let me, let me stay with home run hitters and a guy who I never thought we would mention on this podcast again. Albert Pujols, he was left for dead. I mean, he was, his first 10 years in St. Louis, he was Babe Ruth, and his next 10 years, he was not Babe Ruth. Um, And everybody said it was a bad signing. He was Babe Ruth. But Albert Pujols is, yeah, Baby Ruth. Albert Pujols just had his, is having his one day left, his best month since June of 2015. He's got 694 home runs. He's got eight this month. He is relevant in baseball, again, right now, what do you make of that? And what do you make of the fact that he continues to say he will not 
unretire. But what if he's at 699? Won't the Cardinals say you have to come back and hit 700? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's astonishing because, look, listen, I love the guy. And having been around him for those first 10 years, there was never a better player. Never a better player in the history of the game. And I've had Hall of Famers come up to me and say, yeah, okay, Trout's good, uh, this guy's good, this guy's good. Go look at Albert's first 10 years. You will never find a better player. Um, and then it just went away. And the last few years in, 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 with the Angels, it was sad. He could not run. He could not run. To first, he could not get from first to second. He looked like a guy who had overstayed his welcome, and certainly the Angels felt that because they they let they let him go with with millions still on his contract. He's found something, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the rest. Maybe it's the fact that the Angels are being very careful about his playing time and all that. But imagine that this guy's going back home and putting up these numbers. Now, if he's at six ninety nine, no way he quits. No way because Albert knows the history of the game. And Albert knows what 700 would mean. And also, I think, for the first time in a long time, he's having fun. You know, he was a guy that was not approachable those first 10 years. But his last 12 years, whatever you want to say, he has become so engaging and seems to be having so much fun in the game I just can't see leaving at this point. And also, like, St. Louis is a place baseball players want to play. Every game is important. Every game is a playoff game. It's annoying as hell at times. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Everything becomes magnified. On the other hand, the players, you know, like I know, like Paul Goldschmidt, you just, or Mark McGuire, same thing. The, the guys that take it seriously in their preparation – you say when they get, when they're going, you find out they're going to St. Louis. You go, these guys are going to be in heaven. This is what they were meant for, and I, I can't I can't see him leaving. You know, he hit the home run in the two thousand four two thousand five playoffs against the Astros that everyone remembers. He, you know, that cameras caught Andy Pettit going, "Oh my God!" And right. you know, the Astros were celebrating a pennant, and then it was over. And he, t- he told me that he still, when he goes to lunch in Houston, people will come to his table and, and tell him. It's almost like a presidential assassination. They will come to his table and tell him where they were, what they were doing when he hit the home run. And he'll look up and go, you know, we lost that series. You guys still won. <laughs> and so that's a pretty, it's pretty special to have that place in the game. When the, the first time I ever heard of him, I was walking with Lourdes on a backfield in Jupiter. And I said, I asked the stupid ball writer question, hey, Tony, what's his English like? And he looks at me and goes, he was raised in Independence, Missouri. It's probably better than yours. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Nobody ever accused Pujols of steroids, right? As big as he is. Nobody ever accused him. Yes, every guy that hits home runs in the steroid era, every guy that hits home runs is going to be under the cloud of suspicion of steroids. That's, that's That's one of the byproducts of the steroid era. As far as I know, he's clean. Uh, by the way, he did say, I read this quote the other day, he's prouder of the RBI than he is of the home runs. He said, look, you get your multiple runs come in. Driving in runs is the most important thing, and he's third all time. He's third all time. Like, he's not going to be third all time in home runs, right? He, 
he will get to where he's fourth, maybe, but not right. third. And he's third all-time in RBI. Do you think most players feel that way? Um, no, I think. And I, I don't, don't either. Think I- I don't think Albert actually feels that way. <laughs> really? You know, and you'll hear guys say, I'm prouder of the run. I had a guy tell me the other day, I'm more proud of the runs I've scored. So, uh, so slow down, buddy. You're, you're proud of hitting 323. <laughs> 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 let's not let's get carried away with the, with the team aspect of it. We know you want to win. But, uh, no, he's prouder of the 690. What's he got, 694 now? 94, he's prouder of that. And he's prouder of 683 doubles. Whoa, 683 doubles. My gosh. 450. Michael and I were talking about this in the break. He's hit home runs off 450 different pitchers. We explain that, of course, because he spent 10 years in each league. Right. You know, he saw more right. He saw more pitchers than anybody else. And now that you have interleague play, which is common, he sees more pitchers than anyone ever did. Right. Right. And the thing about him, just to be technical, a player players have told me this. Watch him at home plate. He never lunges. He never looks uncomfortable. It's like he's that weird, rare guy that controls the bat the moment he steps in the box. The, he, he is in charge of the bat, and, and that's almost never the case, you know, because the pitcher has the baseball in his hands. But in other words, he just, it, it's impossible to fool him. So his hands are so fast, his eye is so good that it didn't matter. This league, that league, this pitch, that pitch, um, he's pretty good. Thank you, Richie. Appreciate it very much. Richard Justice, boys and girls. Lovely. We'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of you folks. Our friend Tim Wildsmith from Nashville, Tennessee, plays us in. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad even though you're in New York? Yes, uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say the autumn wind and the winter winds, they have come and gone. And still those days, those lonely days, they go on and on. And guess who sighs is lullabies, my fickle friend, the summer wind. Many people have sung that song, as is mainly the case. Nobody's ever sung it better than Francis Albert Sinatra. It's a lovely song. Thanks to our guests today, Pat Forty, Richard Justice. Thanks to our sponsors today, ButcherBox, Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please 
leave us a review. Friendly reminder, our new Johnny O code, TK Week 1, goes live for September 1st. Back to school, back to uh, that fall routine, back to football, all in for Week 1. How is, thank you, Robert Griffin III, how is uh, Bootsy after Day 2? Day 2, Bootsy had a little bit of a scrape. Mom got a phone call from the school nurse. I think Walker demanded that uh, the nurse phone mom, but everything's okay. Thank you to all uh, school personnel, teachers. Scraped his knees. Scraped his knees. Yeah, I I texted you that it was a... uh, it was a bit of a um, Jets and West Side Sharks. story situation going right. on, but uh, and I said, was he was he Riff or Bernardo? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, to be serious for a moment, we're so grateful that our little boy is having a great time at uh, kindergarten, and he is just hungry to learn. From Jim Lukens in Naperville, Illinois. Hey, Mr. Tony, Keith Oberman used one of your recently recorded announcer drops today. I've been waiting for days for a you're listening to Countdown with Keith Ammerman and was indeed disappointed by probably the most mundane and milquetoast drop you recorded that morning. Maybe he'll use some of the fun drops in later shows. I'll let you know if he does. He's not going to. Yeah, you're no Larry David. He's not going to. No, he tells me all about how Richard Lewis and Larry David, you know, make it their own. And then he doesn't think that the Ammerman thing was funny at all, even though we did. And he, you know, what can I tell you? From Sandy Shoestack, first my bona fides, 1970 graduate of Hewlett High School, found fond memories of Bernie's Diners, Wall's Bakery, Junior's Bamboo Inn, owned by the Wong family, Hamburger Local, Alexander's Luncheonette. I'm also a practicing podiatrist in Charlottesville, Virginia. You and Nigel got the basics correct of a Liz Frank or Liz Frank injury. It's a midfoot injury involving multiple joints and usually as a result of high-impact forces. I thought you would like to know in the original article describing Liz Frank and his battlefield skills, Liz Frank used a penknife and accomplished the amputation in about six to eight minutes. Remember this 1810s with no anesthesia, pain meds, or antibiotics. Thanks to you and the entire crew for many years of entertainment and references to the South Shore. South Shore of Long Island, of course. From Timothy Hinley, or Hyanley, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Dr. Tony is a native of Binghamton, New York, who grew up eating Speedies on Italian bread. And as the son of a recent retiree from Binghamton University, my mother taught in the theater department, I've had a number of mini David Aldridge moments over the years. Today, however, was my favorite. I am an attorney with UNC Chapel Hill School of Government. I was interviewed today by NPR's own Joe Shapiro. While walking him to his car, Mr. Shapiro mentioned that he used to live in the Chevy Chase neighborhood of D.C. Do you know Tony Kornheiser, I blurted out? I do. We've not caught up in a long time. How do you know Tony, he asked. I died a little inside while admitting I don't know you, but I feel like I know you after all these years. Mr. Shapiro told me he used to live near you and how the Monday night football truck would be parked in the neighborhood. He also warmly reminisced about your work in the style section. It's my pleasure to pass along to you a fond hello from Joe. That's very nice. If only it happened at the Sharky's parking lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Adam Stanley in St. John in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada, writes, I live in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. If you want to know where that is, find a map of North America and find the point closest to Europe. It's there that I live right out in the North Atlantic. Last year, last week, I was invited to play in a scrambled charity golf tournament with a friend of mine and two people I'd never met before. We were having a great day. We're about six under through 13 holes, and the guy I'm riding with says, it's all for shop credit in the crystal. I stopped. I looked at him and said, are you a Tony fan? To which he replied, la cheeserie. We then spent the <laughs> next hour talking about how much we love the show and many of your recent stories, and we both agreed that perhaps you need to get out of the attic more given you thought five bucks was going to buy you anything at a fast food restaurant these days. The show's connective tissue knows no end. Thanks for all the laughs. P.S. I once shared a hotel hot tub with Harrison Ford. Do I win anything? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'm guessing their group didn't have any bunkers. Isn't that fantastic? 
that they're great. in a scramble and that just happens? All about that shop credit. Alex Lau in New York City. I had to rewind Monday's show when I heard Wilbon speak glowingly of Dublin and then compare it not to Chicago or Toronto or some other Midwestern city, but compare it to none other than <laughs> I-95's own New York City in a very un-Wilbon-like manner. I couldn't help but be surprised when he said that, given all the vitriol he directs our way and the fact that, according to Wilbon, Chicago has twice the number of Irish people that New York City does. <laughs> From Grant McGuire in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, J. Grant McGuire, James McGuire. I think he goes by Grant. Ireland and Eastern Europe, forget it. He's rolling. <laughs> Here's a, sh a shared haiku nutrition for the first day of school for parents. Nutritious lunch, check. Backpack, school supplies, check, check. Tears, no, just pollen. I think Bootsy took another kid's snack day one. Really? <laughs> yeah, the Z-bar. <laughs> he ate his own and then he took someone else? No, else? no, he couldn't find his own because mom put it in the small patch. I think he just took just, another kid's. Good for him. So Be aggressive right away. Kindergarten's late. <laughs> From Andrew Stolowitz, longtime little on holiday in Europe, stopped by the Burger King at the Barcelona airport on Saturday. Whopper with cheese and fries came to 10.6 euros, which is about $10.53. Hate to say it, but at 13.72, you got ripped off. Or as they say in Spain, te estaferon. That's my nice Spanish. Attempt. I tried. From Kirk in Shepparton, Australia. If you think someone reading the paper in their car while parked in the drive is weird, then I would like to get your thoughts on this car situation. One of the locals from our hometown had a serious problem with feral cats on his property. The guy decided to put a leg of lamb in his car overnight as bait. He woke up in the morning to find 23 feral cats trapped in there. He then gets dressed in a wetsuit and motorcycle helmet and hops in with them. It took him an hour to drive the 30 miles to the pound due to the lack of visibility caused by a hurricane of cats. How great is that? Was the great is that? From Bill Kinlock in Mount Airy, Maryland. I went to a friend's house this weekend. The toilet paper was under. I fixed it to over. And it says, tell Matt Todd, but he means tell Chuck Todd. Yeah. Uh, Justin, Knoxville, Tennessee. In case Mr. Tony can't find that large curd cottage cheese, I found an alternative. It now includes lingering taste. This is called Chugger's Cottage Cheese. I was unfamiliar with that. From David Poulin. The one thing you gentlemen forget to mention is the courses. The courses the PGA play are a big part of the tour. What courses of any notability would the average U.S. golf fan recognize that they play on the Live Tour? We know Pebble Beach. We know the TPC courses. We know all the courses we've grown up dreaming of playing on. I think this has to be brought into the conversations on which tour is going to be the better one to watch. Well, they got the Trump course. They got the bed, right? It's the Bedminster, New Jersey Trump course, which you and I have played. Yeah, yeah. so far they've only partnered with American courses and some resort sort of uh, groups here. But uh, it'll be interesting internationally to see what they might be able to get in Australia now that they have Cam Smith. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the, the Royal Melbourne, maybe. Well, the yes. Entire, the entire sand belt. But uh, you know. you, I believe this uh, writer makes a good point that we sometimes forget that you grow up you, year after year. You watch, you these, watch the courses. You watch these courses. Uh, and we'll, we'll end with Jeff Piggott, our friend uh, in West Des Moines, Iowa. With all the Burger King discussions of late, I keep wondering, how much do you have left on your Subway card? But I haven't used that in years. Probably not more than two bucks. Also, apropos of your eating cherries in the store comments, when I was a kid, my grandma used to get me a single hot dog from the meat case to eat as she shopped. To this day, I will only eat uncooked hot dogs. Ugh. From Jeff Piggott. Michael's making a face, Jeff. You can't see because we're... We're not plugged into News Channel 8 this morning. If you're out on your bike, everyone, as always, do wear white. Yeah, here's the thing. We're not the wonders right now. We're Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. <laughs>
first time I saw Billy, he was playing a lover's game. With his hands in his pockets, denying the claim. Denying the claim. With old what's her name by his side. Old what's her First time I had Billy, we danced on an empty stage. With his hands in my pockets, we glorified shame. We mastered the game. While old what's her name was in the West. You know he'd come to me sometimes, and he'd give his truth with his lies. He'd give me all of his love, and I'd give him more time. And just like a poem or a priest.
Cross.